Hello, welcome to Cranky Commentaries. As always, I'm your host, Jack Domastro, and as always, I'm joined by my very good friend and co-host, Keaton Byer. Hello, Keaton. Hello, how are you doing? Not too bad. Today, we uh, pick up talking about big fish again. Yeah, I've just got a question for you before we get going. Yeah? Um. So, what is the big fish's favorite drink? Uh... <laughs> What is a big fish's favorite? I don't know. What is it? Stirred gin. Stirred gin? Stirred yeah. gin? Nice. <laughs> <laughs> proud of that one. Uh, very proud of that one. Um, is a sturgeon big? I don't really know much oh, about yeah. fish. Oh, yeah. they get big. Well, some of them can't cool. be. But, you know, maybe we'll talk about that later. Who knows? Um so yeah, we're talking about big fish oh my God. again. We're gonna fin-ish our uh, coverage oh, God. <laughs> of uh, of <laughs> big fish. Um, so last week Jake gave us the five minute summary, and he did a pretty good job, I think. Um, we did. It was the... five minutes. I'll give you that. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> nailed it. Um, we did the initial thoughts, obviously, the basic facts as we always do, and then we talked quite a bit about production. I mean, it was a bite-sized episode, so we didn't really talk quite a bit about anything, but. A bite-sized episode? Yeah, exactly. It was a bit a bite bait-sized episode. Yeah, well, bite <laughs> is all is also. I feel like bite is already. It's already a fish enough thing. of a fish pun. It's true. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, then we also did track. You took the you took the bait on that pun. Yeah, I did take the bait on that pun. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, and we also managed to worm Star Trek in there as well. We did, as yeah, we always do. As we always do, worm another fish pun. So there you go. So this week we're going to talk about the actual production of the movie um, and, you know, all the the whatchamahavits and all that jazz that comes along with that. Um, and then, yeah, and then we might have some 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 special segments at the end that we some, always... Some segments of thorough investigation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So shall we... Just go right into the production. Yeah, sure. So last week we were ta- as we were talking, we talked a lot about the casting of Ewan McGregor um, and F- Albert Finney. Is it Albert? Oh my God, I'm blanking. Right. Albert Finney, yeah. Yeah, 
Um, well, considering you wrote it like 50 times in this outline. Yeah, well, you know. I, I wrote Finney more times, I think, than I wrote uh, Albert. I um, but yeah, right. Finney. Um, yeah, Finney? We talk- Do you know how has fins? Oh my god! <laughs> Fish. Holy shit, that's like built right in. Yeah. So yeah, we talked about Ewan and Finney a little bit last week, but I kind of found a quote that, interestingly enough, uh, uh, proves that People Magazine is partially responsible for the casting of Ewan McGregor and Albert Finney. Um, oh, yeah? So that's kind of weird. Um, uh, Tim, l- let's see. Tim Burton explains it, if you want to read that. Yeah, sure. So uh, in this article, Tim Burton says uh, specifically... In the case of Albert and Ewan, somebody would go, what about this person? You'd go, that's great, but who else? Who's the other person? So it was a difficult house of cards. You had to do both, and once you found both, uh, would they both do it? I remember looking at pictures of Albert from Tom Jones' era. Nothing to do with the position. um, Yeah, yeah, Tom Jones is the uh, picaresque novel or film as well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, You look at... uh, you look at um, that, and you see the spirit there. And then you look at pictures of Ewan. There's a bit physical. Uh, it's it's a little bit physical. And when I met both of them, and I realized there's a real connective spirit about them, I felt, again, very lucky about that because uh, meeting them separately, there's a weird similarity between the two of them that was great. Then somebody found an old People magazine uh, that had the two of them sort of separated at birth type thing. I showed the studio and said, it's like, look, People Magazine thinks it's a good idea too. Without them, I don't think I would have done it because you couldn't just put any two actors in there. It had to feel right. So, yeah. So, wow. I mean, who knows? Maybe maybe the People Magazine that, that, that shifted the studio's, uh, 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 you know, positioning a little bit on that who knows but yeah anyway. well I, I think it certainly convinced him that he was right yeah exactly i mean he was right it's pretty good pretty good yeah it's they, pretty good um yeah I, and if you go back and watch i wonder is, is albert finney is he legitimately uh southern i don't know let's find out let's find out wouldn't shock me but he's also an actor, so you know. Yeah, you know. English uh, actor. English. Oh shit. They're, They're both, both English. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh my god. They're not both English. Oh yeah. Sorry. 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 You and Scottish. Yes. Sorry. My my mistake. I apologize to all the Scots out there. That was a big mm. a big uh, mistake. Club. Yes. Um, uh, so they both had to. I wonder if there was uh, a lot of effort put into making them have the same accent. I will, yeah. I mean that. I mean, I didn't really like sort of try to deconstruct the accent. I'm not really an expert on that. No, I didn't really think um, about that. But yeah, I'm sure they did but, work with like a uh, some sort of vocal coach yeah. at some point to like try and make sure they were doing at least a similar accent. Have you ever seen those videos that like Wired magazine does, uh, like the technique critique stuff, where they have like an accent coach who breaks down accents from movies? I haven't seen that specifically, but I have seen things like that. 
Uh, and anyway, I looked through those to see if they if he had done one on this movie, but he had not that I could mm. find. You should send an email. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I wanted to see like whether or not he thought the accent was good. I would really, yeah, I'd like to see an expert break it down. Because um, uh, I don't know. Um, well, you know, if we have any listeners from Alabama, let us know. Yeah, well, did, does, did you like the accent? Did it sound accurate? Was did you feel at yeah. home? Exactly. Um, well, speaking of which, like, they definitely, like, you know, they, they got the atmosphere. Um, so filming of the, of the, of this movie began in January of 2003. Um, there was a few delays. I think it was supposed to start in, first it was supposed to start in 2001, pushed back to 2002, and now here we are in January 2003. Um, they're starting in Alabama, so that's what I mean by, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, they were actually, you know, in it. Yeah, I wonder if Star Wars had anything to do with those delays. If Star Wars had anything to do? Oh, because you and... Mc- oh, maybe. That's a good yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Because maybe they had to do some Because also, I feel like there was probably a ton of delays with that movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, with Attack of the Clones, yeah. Yeah, they probably... Um, yeah, you maybe had to do some reshoots or something. I don't know. That yeah, yeah, delayed yeah. Them. Um, but yeah, and then they also shot in Paris for like a week. Right. Yeah, yeah there right. are some scenes in Paris yeah, like, which at the beginning. I totally forgot about that. I was like, what? Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's that, the opening, because they're in Paris, right? Uh, I it, believe it's supposed to, it looks like Paris. Yeah. Anyway. I don't that. know if they ever explicitly state it, but she's clearly French. Yeah, she's French, so. Josephine, is that her name? I believe so. Yeah. But yeah, she's French, so there you go. Um, yeah. So I guess they, I don't know why they went to Paris, but, because it's, you as, know, as you say, the, you know accuracy. Yeah. You know you have to, if you, even if you only have to have one scene. You know. Yeah, I guess. I guess. Yeah, they they went to Alabama, but you as well go to Paris. Um, yeah. So also, you, I guess you only had to have you don't have to have everybody there. You just had to have two actors. Yeah, that's true. Good point. It can be a really yeah. small operation. Just Tim Burton, a camera person, and the actors. Yeah. Um. So yeah, then they finished. They finished filming in May two thousand three. But there's there's the the best details about this is um so they shot near Montgomery um mm-hmm. who it seems was like beyond thrilled to have this production yeah. going on um <laughs> so the a, a, a publication called the Montgomery Advisor um over okay. the course of the filming of this uh, uh um movie so let's see that's that's January to May so 5 months just under they published forty-seven articles <laughs> about the, the 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 film being made. About the production of this film, um, yeah. I, I've included some titles here of uh, of some of the better ones. Yeah, so I mean, we start off with the uh, big fish will be filmed in the Montgomery area. We kind of have a progression here. It, yeah, area sites reel in big fish, fresh fish. <laughs> a lot of puns here too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, big fish means business. Big fish actors uh here already. <laughs> Council backs filming. Big fish sets lures others. Sorry, big fish set lures others. <laughs> big fish pumps millions into uh area economy. So interesting. So yeah, so, so that they, you can hear they, more they about seem that. to have uh you know it seemed to be be a big deal for uh, the city of Montgomery because. I don't know how many things are filmed in Alabama. Can't imagine it's that frequent. Wasn't the... Uh, uh, you going to say Get Out? 
I was going to say Knives Out, but maybe it was Get Out. It was, so, out. it was filmed in the South. I can't remember if it was Alabama or not. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, so, so many, so many fucking articles. My favorite was uh, the one that seems the most trivial to me is Rain Force's cast crew inside. And that's the end of the <laughs> um, but Slow news day. Yeah, slow news day. Uh, but that's How often does it rain in Alabama? I guess it must happen enough. Yeah, I think it must have been like a pretty torrential rain. Well, uh, th- it happens in the movie. Actually, that's true. So, yeah. Where his car ends up in a tree? Yeah, exactly. So we can let's go to the first uh, the first linked one, which is... Big fish scene draws crowd. Big fish scene draws crowd. So this is this is super interesting. Come I on, thought. you could be more fish punny with that. They really could, but you know, they should say school sized crowd. Come on. Ugh. <laughs> anyway, big fish reels in crowd. Yeah, well, they already have the lure. Big sit, big lure, fish yeah. lure. Um, but real, they could do a double pun with the fucking films. Like this is yeah, this that's gold. true. Yeah. Um. So yeah, this 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 article is it's about the scene. If you remember, there's a scene in the montage where Ewan McGregor runs into a burning building to save. Uh, oh right, a puppy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, it's a two second scene, but it was a huge process to film it. So, right. Um, I thought I'd just read a few excerpts from this article. Actors in 1950s-era fighter firefighter uniforms stood within feet of present-day members. Fire department production assistants from Columbia Pictures, along with members of the police department, struggled to keep growing crowds of spectators behind barricades. White vans with tinted windows carted people in and out of the area, prompting speculation from the crowd as to who was riding in them. <laughs> Probably Tim Burton. Probably Tim Burton. Um, so it's a little further down the article. They have an interview with the stunt coordinator, Charlie, uh, Crothwell. He says, quote, we've spent three weeks getting ready for this scene. Stunt coordinator, Charlie Crothwell said to amount to about five seconds. (laughs) Crothwell, who worked with quote, with, uh, big fish director, Tim Burton before on planet of the apes and Batman returns explain that the scene which depicts the character of Edward Bloom rescuing a puppy from a burning house. Uh, then it goes on just to explain the montage. And yeah, uh, there was one more little detail. There's one thing I noticed while I was scrolling through this. Yeah, what is it? I just thought this was funny. Uh, Lenora Stanfield had one of the best views of the night. She lives almost directly across the street from the house being used in the scene. I wish they'd just burn it down, Stanfield said. It looks better now than it has in a while. <laughs> That's just... Savage. So mean. <laughs> Savage. Yeah, it's just one that has burned down. I guess maybe it wasn't occupied. Maybe they just, like, it was like a... Like yeah, a I don't know. dilapidated house that they just... Uh, who yeah. knows? But that's hilarious. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Crofwell explained that while parts of the house actually were set on fire... Much of the flame would be seen would be originate from natural gas pipes. So, you know. Yeah, kind that, of a, that seems pretty standard. But that's awesome that they actually lit parts of the house on fire. Yeah, no, that's pretty cool. And yes, I mean, I wonder if they were going to demolish the house anyway. Maybe, maybe. Considering that this, uh, that this woman was so concerned about the how it looked. Yeah, it's probably true. Probably dilapidated. Yeah, it probably looks like shit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> and um, so, and Mc- it is McGregor. It's, he does his own stunt. He he emerges from the house carrying a Saint Bernard in his arms. And then a quote from Crothwell: "Ewan is doing most of his own stunts. He's great with the dog, and it likes him." So wow. that's that's good to know that even the dog likes Ewan McGregor, because you know well, who couldn't, who wouldn't? Exactly, exactly. I mean, I feel like if it's if it's safe enough. Like, would they really put a dog in that much danger? No, absolutely not. If it's safe so enough it's for like, the dog, I feel like not that. it's probably not that dangerous if it was done, considering they had a he, he was carrying a real dog. Yeah, keep in mind we're we're hearing the Montgomery advisor's perspective on this. Yeah, they're, that's true. They're they're, they're a little bit biased. Yeah, yeah. Like they want. They to probably sit. love you and McGregor. Yeah. Well, who doesn't? Yeah. Um. So yeah, the other one, I just wanted to, because it, cause it d- does sound the most like mundane, but it's also actually got a bit of information about uh, uh, how it how it helped the town. So if you want to, do you want to read that article? Maybe not. A, actually, it's pretty short. The uh, the second. The rain casts uh, forces inside. Okay. Overcast skies and periodic rain forced the cast and crew of Big Fish indoors for the day on Wednesday canceling a planned shoot depicting the character of Edward Bloom and Norther Winslow making a getaway from a bank robbery. The day was far from a complete loss, however, as shooting continued throughout the morning inside a converted store that is doubling as Southern City Savings and Loan. This isn't a fucking story, I'm sorry. What 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 do you mean? <laughs> why is they? Why are they even writing about this? Because they need the forty-seven stories. Slow news day. Yeah, exactly. It's like, uh, yeah, so it rained, so we went inside. <laughs> keep going, keep going. Okay. Uh, producer Bruce Cohen, who won an Academy Award for his work on the film American Beauty, was on hand for the day's filming. He said, "Dealing with unpredictable weather." conditions was just part of the job actually part of the fun and excitement of this he said you have to sit and weigh all your options part of the problem today is that the paint wasn't dry on the street (laughs) (laughs) when we wanted to use the exterior that we wanted to use for the exterior shot of course we wanted to try to get that shot in while we had some sun we've got one eye on drying paint and the other on the weather. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Why is that in there? Why is, yeah, clearly, some guy trying to make his job sound way more interesting. Yeah. Oh, he's the fucking producer on the film. Yeah, he is. The Surely producer. he is more interesting things to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe that's just what they picked out of the quote. Yeah, I know exactly. Um. It's very. It's part of the fun and excitement. You have to keep one eye on the drying paint and the other on the weather. Oh yeah, that's that's excitement right there. Yeah, watching one eye on drying paint and one eye on the weather. Yeah, the two most exciting things of all time. So yeah, and then the last bit that is relevant from this article is. Uh, uh, oh yeah, this is hilarious. Um, Lynn Carter and Mary Peck uh, were two who were who answered an early call to come down and be extras in the scene. They spent part of the morning morning portraying patrons inside the bank before moving outside to sidewalk duty. They said it wasn't hard to concentrate on what they were supposed to do, even with director Tim Burton, McGregor, and Buscemi working among them. 
They told us this is not our debut, Peck laughed. (laughs) They said we're an important part of the scene, but we also know we're background, Carter said. What a weird thing to have in there. I don't know. It's like, I guess they're just like, okay, we need to talk to some people. Let's put in some quotes. Oh, they didn't do anything interesting? That's okay. We don't have anything else to say. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then finally, uh, um, Robert Rose, who owns Rose's Discount Store next door to the set for Wednesday's filming, said he initially had some concerns about losing business, but was enjoying the activity around his shop. We're closed right now, but it's worth it, Rose said. This is exciting. Rose said the production has done a lot for uh, Wet Umpka, which I guess is a town near... uh, 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 Montgomery. How many people live in yeah. Montgomery? Let's find out. Yeah, you better find out. Um, uh, ooh, not many. Uh, how many? Seven thousand two hundred twenty. Wow. And this then is two thousand twenty. So who knows yeah, if it's yeah. got bigger so, or smaller since then? Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, Rose said the production has done a lot for Watumpka in the short time the movie crew has been there. Quote, it improved the look of the town, Rose said, of the paint, awnings, and signs the production company has added throughout the downtown area. It's brought all kinds of people downtown. Hopefully this movie will help people see that we can all, we can all do things together. I don't know what that means, but cool. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I thought that just that little bit about, you know, so they, they went into this town, and they were like, all right, got to fix up all these awnings and shit to make it look better. Yeah, well, I, I guess the awnings, it, you, know? you know, they got to stay after the film left, right? Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, so I just I checked, and the population in 2000 was 5,726, so it's actually grown. Wow, good for them. Yeah, maybe because of Big Fish. Yeah, probably. You know, yeah. the notoriety that comes with the... the exactly, group. yeah, yeah. We should... Well, we'll add it to our list of uh, film tours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have to go to Wetumpka, Alabama. Yeah, to the the, the, the fake bank where Steve Buscemi well, what, robs what's, the bank. What's the, the discount store? Uh, uh, Rose's called... discount store. Rose's discount. See if it's still open, yeah. Uh, Let's see. Discount store, Wetumpka. Rose's department store in Wetumpka, Alabama with reviews. YP.com. Yeah, it's yellow no, pages. No, but that's in... But then when you actually click it, it says that's in uh, Montgomery. Not sure. Anyway, we're not sure. Yeah. If, uh, if his... Uh, Oh, hold on. I'm, I've, I've got to a a website here. Rose's Discount Store. I want to know more about it. Find your store. Oh, this seems like a... A chain. A chain, yeah. Okay. So uh, we can't find Rose's Discount, so maybe maybe this is it. Maybe they've expanded, you know? Maybe they've got multiple locations Yeah, maybe it's now. a different one. Maybe. Who knows? Who knows? But anyway, that's, yeah, that's super interesting, and I thought... I just thought it or was... Or maybe. Maybe it's a franchise, and... Robert Rose just so happens to have the same name. That would be hilarious. <laughs> we're, we're, just, we're just assuming that it's named after him when it's actually just he owns. A yeah, it's like it could be that he just coincidentally is also named Rose. I mean, that would be that would be a pretty funny coincidence. <laughs> so it could be that too. Yeah, totally an option. Yeah. Um. Anyway. But yeah, I thought it, I just thought it was cool that like you know they I I I think it was Wikipedia that said they brought like twenty five million dollars into the local economy. But obviously that's Wikipedia. That's, that's pretty cool. You know. But like, uh, 
so uh, again, obviously that number is Wikipedia, so uh, I'm not exactly sure where they got it. But point being is clearly they did, you know, you know they uh, from these articles we know that they cast locals as extras and they. Uh, and the locals were very happy to be a part of it. Yeah, exactly. They were super down. Um, so now we can talk a bit more about the uh, kind of the effects and stuff. Because um, first, right. obviously, we've talked about Tim Burton before and his uh, his practical effects. Use of, uh, yeah. Which we'll talk about a bit more in a second. But so I think Carl the Giant was, we were talking about that earlier. Yeah, we were. I was wondering how they did that effect. Uh, and, I mean, obviously it starts with getting a really tall person. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> step one is get a tall guy. Uh, sorry, uh, uh, Matthew McCrory is, I believe, the guy who uh, played the giant. Yeah, what other roles has he? He's, uh, um, let's see. It appears he was not, he was in Men in Black too. Oh, right, I do remember that. I remember that, yeah. Uh... In some movies that I'm not too familiar with. Uh, oh, the film Constantine with Keanu Reeves. Oh, yeah, he was a demon yeah. in that. Um, cool. Uh, sadly, uh, he passed away in uh, 2005. So I I assume that uh, he would have been in more films otherwise. Ah, uh, yes. Right, right, right. May he rest in peace. Yeah. He was also seven foot six to uh, put on to... Uh, so to put that in perspective for people, uh, Shaquille O'Neal is seven foot one. <laughs> Shaq, by the way. Uh, so, um, so he's that's very tall. He's taller than Shaq, significantly taller. Yeah. yeah. Um, and but even then, he, he he looks even bigger than that in the movie because of various tricks. Yeah, and I think mostly it's forced perspective. That's the vibe I got. From what the yeah, way so he described it, there's the scene where he's is he picking up a car? Yeah, he like lifts up a car. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that and is the scene. I think the car is only like quarter size or whatever. Yeah, did they use a really tiny car? Because I I I took a look at that still. I'm and I'm pretty sure that's what it is. I'm pretty sure that for that yeah, yeah they use they're using like a small car and like a a, a, a like. The force perspective because they're looking angle. like up at him, and then they've got the the uh, uh, yeah they've probably got the um, power lines behind him in a specific you know place. Yeah, I wonder if they had to build a little road that like is angled in more. You know, yeah, what I mean? maybe because they did yeah. build a lot of sets because they built the Spectre set as well. Oh which yeah, still exists. Okay, you can, really, you can still go see it. I think. Maybe we should go to go to Spectre yeah. on our tour. That would be sick. Of Alabama. Yeah. I'd love to go to Alabama, so that's definitely on the yeah. list. Um yeah. but yeah, as we as I mentioned, we we'll come back to it. Tim Burton and CGI. Or you know, the they're they're better friends these days, I I I, I, I imagine, from what I've seen from his more recent work. Well, I mean he's certainly used quite a bit of it. Yeah. But do you want to read just kinda his quote here? about CGI, which is kind of, you know, enlightening for how he yeah, felt so, about it at uh, the time. Like, on on CGI, uh, Tim Burton had to say that, uh, like anything CG, I like to have as much of it be sets and be real. If you, if you can do anything digitally, then why bother being there? I don't care what anybody says, but the closer you can get where it is, the better. 
everything we try to do is kind of enhanced. It's more of a juxtaposition of things, I think. And that's why, uh, that's what I felt it had going for it. So we've tried just doing as much as simple effects in camera and shot more on location uh, than it had its own reality. So that it had its own reality. Yeah, so he's talking about trying to create its own, you know, create a reality from the actual environment as opposed to CG. Yeah. That's interesting, given that in Mars Attacks, how much CGI there was. Yeah, well, we talked about how he, that was a... a yeah, that he, it, took, it took him a while to get he there. He compromised for that, I think. Yeah. Because just, it, look, he, it looked horrible. So this movie is also the first time Tim Burton used digital color grading. Which okay. we've talked about before. I'm trying to remember what movie we were talking. You kind of gave a, an extensive rundown about digital color grading, as I recall. Did I? I don't know. Maybe. Possibly. We've done so many movies. I know. I know. This is episode, like, what, uh, 72, 71 now? Something like that, yeah. yeah. But uh, what was I going to say? Yeah. It, uh... oh, yeah, I was probably just talking a little bit about that when we were doing. Um... Oh, was it The Hurt Locker? No, well, maybe, but I think Knives Out. Because I was talking about the uh, cinematographer having opinions. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, go listen to that episode for those opinions. Yedlin. And a lot of other, our opinions about Star Wars. Um, Sorry? That episode. Oh, yeah, yeah, that too. (laughs) Um, Anyway, yeah, so... Yeah, basically digital color grading is... uh, Essentially, color grading is just the process of taking the original image as it was captured and squeezing this higher dynamic range image into something that will eventually be projected. A lot of times you'll also tweak like the colors while you're doing that. Right. So Tim Burton loved it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because he could do whatever he wants. Yeah, exactly. Fucking loved it. He said, quote, I love it. It's so great. (laughs) Um, He just thought like, it was a, a great, you know, artistic tool to add to like tone and stuff. So then, why don't you why why why, you know, if you're all about like doing stuff in camera, then why don't you do that in camera? Why don't you change the colors in camera? Yeah, well, he this this is a super like kind of contradictory opinion here. I mean, I, I like read this next quote. I, from I don't want to like, I don't I, I don't want to like make a a, uh, a stink about it because I mean, a stink about it. But I mean, you know, there are. It's, it's it's different. It's like you can't you can't be fully like ideological about all I this know, stuff. I know. You know? I'm just I'm I'm just ribbing Tim Burton because you know we have that yeah, kind of relationship. Exactly. Um, yeah, definitely. But yeah, do you want to read his the, his quote here, <laughs> like that he expands upon there? Uh, what besides I love it and it's so great. Yeah. He says it's it it's like a few years ago they said you're making a comedy you don't need stereo. Like anything you're doing, acting, lighting, color, it should serve it. Yeah. So he said it's a it's a. Tool. That's interesting. That uh, making a comedy, not using Sarah. Yeah, I wonder who told him that. I feel like it just seems like, well, why, why wouldn't you? Yeah, I guess like they were just like it's cheaper to not do old it. fashioned. They're old fashioned. Yeah, yeah. What film? What was his a comedy he was doing before that? Uh, before this film, well, yeah. What's like what's a comedy that Tim? I Burton mean, I did? guess Mars Attacks is comedy. It's 
fairly involved. I would I would think that that would be in Serio. Yeah, that's probably what he was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. And yeah, so this is the this all these Tom uh, Tim Burton, sorry Tom Burton. They come from uh, awn.com. And the okay. interviewer uh, brings up the idea of previs, and uh, 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 Tim Burton said that he said that they used it. I think it was kind of a new thing around then, which is why the interviewer wanted him mm-hmm. to talk about it. But uh, Tim Burton said we have a few sequences in which we did do some previs, and that's helpful. Somehow it's a little quicker than drawing lame little foxes by hand. So I thought you could maybe just explain to us what previs right. is. Right. Yeah. So previs is essentially like anything that you do like ahead of filming to sort of um try to visualize the scene before you actually start making it in camera. Right. So it stands so for like, pre-visualization or whatever. So. It, yeah, it's pre- pre-visualization is what it is, but essentially it, it's kind of like when uh Akira Kurosawa was making all those paintings for Ran, right? Um but so what he's talking right. about here right. is so specifically like, like uh, on the computer, for example, using a, a tool like uh, Maya or something to like uh, build your scene out in 3D and then be able to move like a virtual camera from through it. Uh, and obviously that... Relatively quickly? Yeah, no, but the thing is being able to build... Because the thing is, like, let's say that you're drawing a uh, a storyboard, right? Right. If I draw a picture and then I'm like, oh, but I'm not sure about this camera angle, why don't we do it from another angle? It's really hard to do that because oh, yeah, you've got to right, redraw right, right. the entire thing, right? Right, right, right. Whereas if you build it in the computer, you can basically be like, oh, I want to try a different camera angle. Well, move the camera over here. There we go. Different camera angle. Right. That's sick. That's actually really cool. So you can and, just and so like... you get to like try a lot of things before you're actually on set. So it saves a lot of time on set because you already figured out all these things ahead of time. Right. Yeah, that's actually that's super cool. Yeah, and also like you can you can put in like the virtual lights and things like that and see like okay, this is vaguely how it's going to look. I imagine that's the kind of tool like some directors rely on a lot more than others. Yeah. You know. Yeah, like, definitely. I feel like certain certain people would just hate that. <laughs> no, yeah, because um, I yeah, I feel like some people would think like oh, it takes out the spontaneity of it, but like, I don't know, it's like. Uh, why not do it, you know? Yeah, why not? Like you said, yeah. it's a tool. It's a tool. But, I mean, yeah, you could say, like, okay, yeah, you know, everything looks good in the computer, but then when you're actually there, it's going to be totally different, right? Because the computer's yeah. not going to capture, like, everything, right? Yeah, exactly. There's there's uh, but it, indefinable it, it's, it's variables. But it's just an alternative or... to storyboarding. Well, I mean, you, yeah. might also, you might also do storyboarding, but... Yeah, yeah. It's like It's like an advanced kind of on the fly storyboarding the yeah, way exactly. he they were just he was describing it is that it was kind of being done on the fly you know yeah but it, yeah it's it's really quick to try new things out and see basically vaguely how they're gonna work right so cool so yeah they did a little bit of that on this film but i don't think they i don't it, it seemed like in that interview the interviewer was more interested in talking about it than tim burton was so yeah um well I yeah i guess there's the Computer time, I think, was becoming a lot less expensive around this time. So, right. like, basically, uh, it became cost-effective to actually spend time on the computer, like, figuring all this stuff out. Right, yeah. So, it was, like, actually relatively new that... And this is, like, a film nerd website, so I guess it makes yeah. sense that they'd be 
kind of prodding him about new new shit like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that's that's kind of it for the production. Um, unless you can think of anything else specific that you want to talk about. Um, because uh, we talked about the giant. We talked about. Uh, I mean, I think it's cool that they built that house that uh, they straightened. That's an in- that's a really interesting piece. Um, because you know clearly they actually because not only is that a like a prop but it also has to work mechanically yeah exactly it's got to be like straightened sorry it has to be straightened so i i assume that it was repeatable like i assume that it i i would just love to see that prop because it's or i guess it's bigger than a prop but like i don't know what you yeah call it's it, like, a, like a structure it's a really it, it'd be a really cool piece because it must just uh fold up and then like full like lean to the side and then be able to push it back infinite yeah. number of times right yeah exactly i want yeah i'd really be curious to see how that worked um, yeah maybe if we if you search through the montgomery advisor articles all 47 of them you might be able to find <laughs> yeah definitely the scene i looked at a bunch of them but i didn't see that scene yeah uh but it might be in there do you think they sent like uh tim burton copies of the montgomery uh advisor i don't know do you think he know, read maybe. it? I have to imagine while he was in Montgomery, he, he read probably it. Probably read a couple of issues. One or two articles about it, yeah. Yeah. Especially as they were so glowing, you know. Yeah, yeah. And that's what? So the time they were there, they wrote 47 articles. So just under five months. That's like almost 10 articles a month. <laughs> well, you got to imagine like every every uh, like edition of the... Uh, uh, Montgomery but, Advisor would probably have at least one article about Big Fish. Like the entertainment yeah, seg- uh, section would just be Big Fish, Big Fish, like, Big Fish. Here's what they're doing. Here's what they're doing this week. Here's what yeah. they're doing this week. Yeah, fair enough. Probably a I big mean, it makes topic. Sense. It's a small town. Just imagine if, like, in the Toronto Star, it had like a article every time they were filming a movie here. Oh my god, it'd be a whole section. I know exactly. That'd be sick. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a great section. I'm sure there's probably some like news site somewhere that has like a list of all the productions in Toronto right now. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. If anybody knows anything about that. Yeah. Yeah. Send us an email. Sure. Uh all right, so what do we have next? I think we've got one final big segment that we're gonna do in this episode. Yeah. We're gonna get and to the bottom of something. It. We're gonna get to the bottom of it, yeah. The bottom of the deep, deep. Tell me about this river that we're gonna we're gonna paddle through. We're gonna yeah, this is the river of truth. Where the where the where the fish of knowledge, the big fish of knowledge swims in the, the water. big fish so of gotta, knowledge? How big is this yeah, fish of knowledge? It's enormous. We yeah. have to dive down and you're gonna wrestle with it. You're gonna wrestle with the fish of knowledge because you know, <laughs> it it's it's not easy to acquire the knowledge that he has to give you. So you gotta wrestle with him. And then you, once you get him, you're gonna Get them up onto the, your boat, and you're gonna you're gonna get the truth. So here we are. Um, we're gonna talk about a couple of things here. 
Uh, but first, we're going to talk about an actual enormous fish. <laughs> so go ahead and, and, and click on that link. How there. big is the fish supposed to be in the film? I don't know, but it looks it looks smaller than this fish. <laughs> yeah, they're very close in size. But similar, if not almost the same size. This picture so this looks is, fake. <laughs> but it, it does. It looks fake. So this is this is caught in Canada in BC. It's about it's Kelowna, BC. Yeah, it's estimated to be a century old, twelve foot sturgeon. How does one catch that? Uh, it's, so it was caught by a man named Michael Snell, and he said it's the most excitement I've ever had with a fish. Um, <laughs> said Snell. I mean, it's gotta be. Margaret... I can't imagine how many fish you've caught that come close to this. Yeah, I mean that's gotta be. So it. for reference, this is a eleven uh, hundred pound fish. Yeah, eleven. So they caught it in uh, two thousand nine. Oh no, sorry, sorry. It's uh, that was the first time. This was twenty twelve. They caught. They went in two thousand nine, and they caught a five foot sturgeon. And they're like, "All right, here we go. We're going back." Um, and then they uh, they played the fish down the river where their guide maneuvered the sturgeon and boat the boat to shore. A fish of this size and great strength is nearly impossible to land. A sport angler has less than two percent chance of everything going right like it did. Jeez. Um, I've been a professional fishing guide on the Fraser for 25 years, and I've never seen a sturgeon this big, guide Dean Work said. Um, once on shore, Work was able to examine the fish. After scanning the head and dorsal fin, he realized it was an untagged white sturgeon. Together, the group measured it and applied a tag to the left side below the fish's head. When the fish came up next to the boat, it measured 12 feet 4 inches and weighed an estimated 1,100 pounds. It had a 53-inch girth measured below the pectoral fins. That's a fucking huge sturgeon. Um, Work said his company has helped tag more than 47,000 white sturgeons since 1995 and scanned more than 90,000 tagged sturgeon that have been caught and released. British Columbia sturgeon are endangered and must be released. Mm. Uh, quote, this tells, uh, this tells us this dinosaur fish hasn't been caught in at least 18 years, if ever at all. I'd bet she's over 100 years old, Work said. Jeez. I didn't think fish could live that long. I didn't know fish could get that big, yeah, and live that long. So, is this the biggest fish, the biggest surgeon ever caught? Well... That's the thing, you know. It doesn't. They don't. Uh, there's no Guinness World Record for biggest sturgeon. What was it? What did they say? Yeah. So the Guinness Book of World Records doesn't have an entry for white sturgeon. However, Fishing World Records says an angler in San Pablo Bay near San Francisco caught a 2,000-pound white sturgeon. Although there's no verification of this catch, so that might just be fucking bullshit. There's no pictures. Right. There's nothing. I don't know. There you must be some like. You know, organization that keeps track of angling records. Well, Fishing World Records. Okay, yeah. The, so, they but they they here. weren't able to verify it. So, according to uh, Fishing uh, Fishing World Records, this is the largest catch captured in a picture and published. Oh, the one we're talking about now. Yeah. There, yeah, there it is. Wow, that's big. Holy smokes! And then there's a, a questionable one. Uh, oh right, yeah, from nineteen ninety eight, yeah, in Snake River, USA, uh, by unknown person, 
and there's a photo. It's a huge. It looks like it's slightly That's bigger. Gigantic. It looks bigger than the one here, but and it does but look it like could, the same kind of fish. Yeah, it but it could I'd, be fake, I guess. Yeah, there's just no uh, provenance. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. There's just no like, way. Yeah, we got this picture. There's nothing else. We, there's just a there's picture. Nothing else to go on. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. There's nothing else to go on. It's exactly. just this picture. Um, All right. So, so the the fish in the film is is not is not implausibly large. It's not. It's it's actually kind of small compared to some of these sturgeons. Um. But yeah. So next in the truth, I uh I trolled some angling angling forums. And I collected some legendary fish stories. All right. Because, you know, uh, fishermen always have weird stories. Sure. Hit me up. Hit, so this hit, is... hit me with some stories, man. All right. So this is a post from Richard Garbett. Um, he said, In about 1992, I was fishing a very large eddy off the River Severn. After several good barbel hooked and landed on the meat, I had one around seven pound taken by an extremely large pike. It had hold of the barbell across the middle, and it didn't let go for a good ten minutes. Even got its head near the net on one occasion before we parted company. I revisited that eddy every weekend with the pike gear for a month or so, <laughs> but never saw that fish again. <laughs> wow. So that's Richard Garbett's uh, uh, experience. So do you want to read the next one? Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. questions first. How yeah, does he okay. know that... Uh... Okay, so he doesn't know how big. He the fish just was. knows that it it took a seven pound fish. Yeah, because I was wondering if if you could weigh a fish based on how hard it pulls, but I don't think you could. Yeah, probably not. I don't think that's yeah. I don't think that's possible. So yeah, uh, Richard Turner unknown. said, back in the early '80s, while trout fishing at Grafham in early September, I saw four enormous trout well into double figures. We had been dapping with Daddy Longlegs earlier in the day and had some success. Don't know what Unfortunately, that means. the wind had died completely and there was a flat calm. We tried casting a fly to the fish, but I couldn't get near the boat, uh, get the boat near enough to them to cover them before they moved away further up Savage's Creek. Boy, did we pray for a breeze. When some breeze came up several hours later, we did drift across the area, but no sign of them. They're gone. Mysterious oh. fish. So have you noticed something in common with these two posters uh, so far? They encountered the fish. But they were ne- they ne- they didn't manage to catch it and they, they 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 came back looking, but they never caught it. They never caught it. So we have a third one here. This is a post from Richard Isaacs. So this is the third angling Richard post in a row, if you'll notice. Oh wow, they're all named Richard. They're all named Richard, yeah. Um, so Richard Isaac said, I have a video I took on my phone of a chub off a bridge at the mill stream at Offord taking bread during closed season. It took every piece I threw down and was easily a, a high eight, maybe more. Okay, so when they Never say a high eight, what does that mean? I think that means pounds. Okay. No, um, nothing maybe this more. Uh, giant. Or uh, kilograms or something, I don't yeah. know. I, I think they're in the UK. Giant yeah, no, nothing on that, but yeah. for 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 the type of fish, it's big. Yeah. Um, never heard of one actually getting caught that size. She so she cleared off. 
Here's some screenshots of the video. Biggest chub I've ever seen in my life. Sorry about the poor quality. And then he's posted a picture here, which I've included in the outline. I don't see anything. Um, yeah, I can't see anything. It's uh, It just looks like muddy water. But then, Richard Garbett, who posted our first story, he responded to Richard Isaacs. So we got a Richard on Richard here. He said, that's making my knees quiver just from the photo. It would beat my PB by many pounds. Okay, I don't know what Richard is seeing in this photo. It's just yeah, I don't. I don't see anything. Maybe if I was an experienced fisherman like like Richard Garbett, I would know. You'd be able I would to pick know what out to look that. For. Yeah, it would make your knees quiver. Yeah. So here's a, one last story from not his name is not Richard, but his name is Paul Richardson. <laughs> so he's the son of Richard. Yeah. Um, and he was he was uh, tagged on this forum as a senior member. Okay. So do you want to read this one? I think this is probably the best one. When I was living in the East Riding, I fished exclusively for pike many years. I remember well. I was March. Sorry, I remember well. It was March sixteenth, the first day of closed season, and I was dog walking along a very small, intimate drain that had provided me some good pike to eighteen pounds. Jeez, that's big. Wow. I stopped on a cattle bridge that straddled the drain, and through sheer luck and a bit of intuition, I spotted something unusual underneath the weed raft. As I squinted, uh, the biggest pike I had ever seen slowly emerged from the raft in about three to four feet of clear water, and I was stood right above her, could not only have a good look at her, at the length, but also the width of her. Certainly a big 20 and possibly a magical 30 uh, (laughs) in which such a small drain just looked completely incongruous. I have never been more tempted to poach and did run back and got my rod, but actually bottled it, vowing uh, to pursue it next season. I did this unsuccessfully for a few seasons and often wonder about that fizz, uh, that fish. Uh, Funny, I don't regret not poaching. Many lads I've fished with would have pursued it, whatever. Yeah, I think it's kind of hard, because like, he's typing in his accent, because this is a UK, these guys are all in the UK, yeah. so it kind of translates a little, little funny like that, but yeah, that's a great story. Yeah, um, so he could have had it, but he, you know. Um, his morals. Exactly. You yeah. know, you can't break the law. Um, and, you know, poaching, that's good. He didn't poach, but yeah, that's a that's a big fucking bike the magical but had he seen it the day before i know one day one day he would have been able to just fucking jump down and get it yeah fucking jump in and wrestle it all right so that is the truth uh for this week um so let's do our final thoughts yeah all right i'm good movie man i liked it you know uh it's, it's pretty fun you know uh i think uh you know it'd be good for uh all ages, you know. There's some good. Uh, I think it translates pretty well. Uh, yeah, I think this movie, like, kind of. I don't know. It it it, it definitely uh, survives, if that makes sense. You know, it's it it's still as good now as it was. Yeah, then. yeah, exactly. It's kind of you know? timeless in that way. I really love this movie. I've yeah. watched it a bunch of times. So yeah, if you haven't seen it, like, you know, it's a it's a fun time. Just like you know. Check it out. If you like Forrest Gump, you know, this is another one that's a lot, a, it's a lot of similarities here. 
Yeah, a lot of similarities. It's like magic forest gum. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> although, I mean, forest gump is pretty I'm actually magic, thinking about because, you know, there's some fishing in that movie, too. Yeah, there's a lot. There's well, that's a pretty shrimping. important part of that film. Shrimping, shrimping, yeah, yeah. but yeah, and also in Alabama. Yeah, also, yeah. Wow, holy smokes! Exactly. You said at the be- last episode, I think you called it Tim Burton's last good film. Yeah, I, I let me let me look at his uh, filmography. Yeah, let's look at his filmography, uh, and let's see if I think if he's made a film since this that I thought was good. Yeah, or that see. I'd seen because I haven't seen every one of those films since. Yeah, I haven't seen all. Okay, I mean filmography. Okay, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I have not seen that in a relatively long time. That's debatably Probably, good. I think. I don't, I, oh, Corpse Bride is sick. That came after this. Corpse Bride is a sick film. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but after that, I don't really know. Yeah, I don't know. It's not. It's not much. No, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is a maybe, and Corpse Bride is a definitely. Everything after that is I don't run, do either haven't seen or didn't really enjoy. Okay. Uh. Yeah. So, Planet of the Apes was legitimately bad. Well, yeah, I have a little. It wasn't relevant to this episode, so I didn't put it for the big fish stuff. But I just feel like we had to include it because it was so funny, and we've talked about it so much yeah um but one of the interviews that we that we drew from uh i believe it was the av what was it avw one something like that um they uh, uh, uh they asked him because it was just when he was making the uh willy wonka movie they had just announced that they were doing willy wonka with johnny depp yeah uh so so i i assume yeah yeah go go ahead and read the thing the interviewer asked uh, asked Tim Burton, uh, "Are you worried at all about taking on another icon, referring to Willy Wonka?" Because he'd done Planet of the Apes. Because he had done Planet of the Apes recently. Yeah, so I, I assume he's referring to the uh, the classic Gene Wilder film. Yeah. 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 Are you worried about taking another icon? And then Tim Burton responds, <laughs> "Yeah, well, I should learn my lesson after Planet of the Apes, but it's okay." <laughs> <laughs> the thing I so find funny does. about Planet of the Apes is how much Tim Burton doesn't like it. Yeah, it's like it's not yeah, even he... like you know critics didn't like it. It's just he didn't like it as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He just wanted to put it behind him. So yeah, something something didn't go right for anybody. No, nothing went right for anybody in that film. Yeah, I guess Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, I mean, was that yeah. Mark Wahlberg's first like big movie? Might have been. I mean, I guess that worked out well for him. You could so yeah, say. Yeah, Mark Wahlberg had a good had a good time. I feel like the way that movie ends, it implies that they were gonna like make sequels. I think they wanted to, but I don't but know. But anyway, nobody this involved all, this is where... clearly wanted to. Yeah, we're getting way off topic. So if we talk about that movie, we can talk about it. No, yeah. Well, we, we already did a fucking plan. fun of the Apes episode. Well, wait, there's a different one though. <laughs> we talked about that one a little bit. Anyway, anyway. That's uh that's none of this is relevant to this episode, so let's uh let's close her out all right. for the week. So yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, wait, 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 one second. Oh, yeah, we'll we'll return. Yeah, next week Hopefully. with a brand new episode. You know, maybe brand maybe someone from Alabama's been listening. Who knows? I wish, I would hope that would be amazing. Um, if someone from Alabama was listening, Virginia, but uh, not Alabama. Ah, that's close. But Virginia listeners is Virginia technically the I south? It's just, uh, or is that debatable? I won't wait into that. Yeah. 
All right. Let's. I will. I'll let them. Well, thank you, uh, people in Virginia, for listening to our uh, episode. So, uh, yes. We'll see you next week. Yes.